Stories Worth Telling, a collection of interviews where extraordinary, ordinary women speak, sharing experiences and answering three questions on a game-changing moment, something heard that inspired, and what the words When Women Speak say to them. In this episode, Carly Bond speaks about her love of the people of East London, the importance of sisterhood, her adventurous spirit, and two important realisations that began to silence and question the validity of assumptions made about other people and the thoughts such as, I don't know enough. Carly works in community development and is committed to amplifying the voices and experiences of people often unseen and unheard to support action taking on issues that affect them and where they live. Carly is all about being the change you want to see in the world and shining the message of one love and doing the necessary work to unpack systems and beliefs that lead to disadvantage, harm and division. What I enjoyed about speaking with Carly was feeling the love and curiosity of diversity and wanting to see as much of the richness in the world as she can. Hello, welcome to another episode and I am joined by Carly Bond. I'm really excited to be in conversation with Carly because this is her first podcast. I hope she doesn't mind me sharing that, but this no, is her no, first I podcast. <laughs> so I feel really honoured oh, that Carly has you. said yes to being on the When Women Speak Stories Worth Telling podcast series. So thank you, Carly. Well, thanks for asking me. I really appreciate <laughs> it. It's been, it's been quite exciting. I'm like, somebody wants me to be on their podcast. Ooh, check me out. Well, <laughs> you do strike me as someone that has lots to say. Um, that's true. And, <laughs> and that is, that's pretty much like a, a big kick. For being a podcast guest someone that's actually got something to say. <laughs> I'm just laughing because everybody who's ever met me plus my family would wholeheartedly agree with you <laughs> I've always got something to say yeah <laughs> so yeah I'm really intrigued as to what's going to get said during this conversation so so we shall see so one of the first things I'd like to ask you is when you heard that it was stories worth telling, was there any story that came to mind that you you thought, oh, I wonder if I'll share that? Well, when I was um, preparing around what women speak uh, brought up for me in mm -hmm. terms of images, values, etc., uh, one of the words that I wrote down was around sisterhood. And so I guess one, one, of the, one of the stories to share is um, I, I, I'm lucky enough to have many friends from all over the world. You know, that's the melting pot growing up in London. But um, I've got a particular group of friends who we, we call ourselves the art club. And, um, you know, our journey of sisterhood, we met um, going to uh, parties together. I just had danced and sang and, you know, we're a mixture of Brazilians and Portuguese and Russian and, you know, we had all these great times and we thought, oh yeah, we, well, you know, we're probably just party friends. We meet each other when we're at a party and that's it. But it didn't, it, it became this, this space where we support and we were holding each other up. And it's not, it's not always been completely um, easy. It means holding each other to account as well when mm. you're friends like this. But I, I can't really express in words what sisterhood feels like and means apart from the fact that 
I've been lifted and nurtured and actualized through experiences of my art club sisters or I've got so many other sisters, Sumi and Shabira and many, many others, but um, connects me to that feeling mm. of being held. Cool, cool. So that was, yeah, so we ask all of our podcast guests, what do the words when women speak say to you so, mm. so that's your answer to that that it, it no no that's, that's <laughs> oh okay, that's okay. The of my answer. oh that's the beginning of the answer okay. <laughs> oh nice okay carry on then carry on <laughs> <laughs> when women speak you need to listen that's one thing when women speak it can be an event um, when women speak, it can be a way to engage in open-heartedness. So those were so you could obviously you could hear how how important um, feminism and sisterhood and even like female-centric leadership is. Um, I came from two two matriarchal families with two grands, one one Jamaican one. Um, Nani Moody and then um, my grand who's still here, Nani Nina and I just always, I always, I didn't realise I was a feminist until I was in my 20s because I always just thought that that's the way it was that you, you know you had matriarchal families and they led and um, you know they they were this, the, the roots of the whole tree you know these women in the family everything kind of wraps itself around them um, yeah, I kind of went off on a descent, but it's helping you to understand where I've come from, I guess, sharing stories. Yeah, that's wonderful. And I'd like to hear a little bit more about growing up in that type of environment um, with a, a matriarch. And did you notice that that was what other families were like as well? Or did you kind of see that uh, there was something different about yours? Um, having spoken to friends and other people that I know, I think there's a lot of families that, that have matriarchs at the heart of them. Um, particularly when you've got women who um, are in more traditional roles of homemakers. Mm. So the food and the bringing together and the <laughs> yeah. emotional nurturing and keeping of the family. Um, yeah, what I've recognised is it's, it's been kind of more special for me in a, in a way because you know, the matriarch on my nanny Nina just like completely dotes on me. She just is always just, just <laughs> my biggest fan and I'm her biggest fan. And so um, I appreciated that people didn't necessarily have that dynamic. Um, but yeah, I, I, thinking back on it now, I think I, I just took it for granted that that was the way that other people were, I guess. It's only as I got into my 20s and started to question and observe and reflect upon those experiences um, and then you know looking at kind of understanding more widely the role of the patriarchy and you know the men in my family and you know how they were handling life and yeah so what would you say because you mentioned the word feminism there what yeah. would you what would you say in regards to that traditional style of matriarchy where like you said that, that that there's a woman who's like the the head of the household the one bringing everyone together and emotional support mm. um and then looking at how families have changed where 
women are, yes, still in that nurturing role. That's a very, if you think about feminine energy, that's a very, very, it's it's nurturing. So, um, and often women do have, you know, strong feminine energy. So they tend to be the nurturers in the household. But then there's also going out to work and there's also, you know, there's all of these other elements as well. So how does that sit? Um, well, I'm, I'm smiling because I, I have personal experience of this and um, I thought about this and I'm also reading Bell Hooks at the moment and her works around feminism and love and things. So, um, yes, obviously the, the, for, for lots of women there's this fem, feminine grace, feminine energy, feminine nurturing, but as women have gone out of the home into working, I think that's opened up a space for the partner to bring that nurturing energy as well. I don't think people should be, should be so, so confined to roles that it keeps people stuck. And, you know, I definitely saw as I was growing up, my mum in a very traditional role and I thought, you know what, I'm, I'm never going to end up like that. It's so un, ungrateful to, to, to be like that. And I want to go out there. I want more. I want to travel the world and have this and have that. And then um, I recently came out of a four-year relationship and I ended up like taking um, the guy's food to him on a, on a tray and being the main cook and being the main, um, you know, going to buy the shopping and the cleaning. And I got so resentful because we both work. We're both working. Why am I being assigned to this role we're both like if we're both working then surely we can both be a bit of nurturing and a bit of cleaning that expectation that we go back to the 1950s when i step through the door i just don't i don't think that runs anymore but i think in in the midst of that kind of negotiation of what domestic life looks like i think we also need to explore well how how do we create space for for men to be nurturers as, as well are we encouraging and creating that space for men to be gentle and to be soft? Or are we encouraging this sort of double standard of be provider, but don't make me a housewife. But, you know, and, and I think that I, from what I've seen from some of the younger people that I know in their 20s, they're definitely negotiating that better than I managed to. Um, because mine was resentful and then like shouty, and that's not helpful, but I felt like I tried everything else. And it was one of the reasons why it led to the breakup of my relationship, because I just thought a relationship shouldn't be where one person is doing nearly everything. So I think that was particular to my dynamic, but intrinsic in that dynamic was this perception that that is a woman's job. Yeah. So yeah. It's, 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 very, it's very interesting, but I think that there has to be some mutuality there and some constructive conversation around roles, you know? Yeah, I, I, I hear in what you're saying there that men have, there's almost like certain stereotypes of how a man should be and then they're confused as to what their roles are just as much as women can be as well. So there definitely needs to be more communication but also maybe more of an understanding of our 
sort of natural tendencies and playing yes. to those playing to those strengths uh, so that the, the kind of that what you talk about there about res being resentful doesn't then start to dominate yeah yeah that's that's completely right but i guess you you have to be able to be in the kind of receptive uh, relationship where you've got that mutuality so that yes. you can discuss and say okay I'm a bit of a nurturer you're a bit of a nurturer um, you like ironing I don't like ironing great <laughs> I, don't, I don't like ironing I don't know why anybody bothers um, and that's because my mum doesn't iron but both of my grandmothers really loved ironing and I will always have this moment immortalized in my mind of my nanny leader with a flag hanging out of her, her mouth and like a can of starch. <laughs> the ironing, like, she just, she, if, yeah, never forget her looking like that. <laughs> <laughs> I can see the image now, that's brilliant. Yeah, yeah. Brilliant. <laughs> okay. So let's move on to another story. Take a moment just to see what next story comes to mind to share. So I'll give you an example of, it, it was one of the kind of um, important times of change for me. Um, so I went to live in Spain for nine months. This was a long time ago now, it's about 15 years ago. And I picked my university and that law course because it had Erasmus as part of it. And I nice. lived in Spain, nice. which when we come <laughs> out of the EU, you won't be able to do that anymore. Um, so. I ended up going, but somehow didn't really get the support and the admin to be able to get me sorted out. And um, so I remember having this massive Barney with my mom and we were both sort of crying. She was like, you can't go. You don't know where you're going to stay. You don't know what you're supposed to do. I'm like, I'm going, I'm going, I'm going. So then my mom at this time, she called the international relations office of the University of the Basque Country, like every day for two weeks. So that I got an, uh, someone to um, meet me at the bus station when I arrived. And um, I'd had, I'd studied Spanish up to A-level, but just, I knew in my spirit that I wasn't going to crack it until I got there. So anyway, off, off I toot there, I meet my chaperone at the bus station and he gives, uh, sends me over to a hostel. And it's on the beach, a place called San Sebastian or Donostia, which is in the Basque country. Really, really beautiful place. Everybody has like a dog and a baby. And you know, at sunset, you see the whole generations of families walking along the promenade together and in the bars, eating their pinchos and having you know, a little drink. And um, yeah, I just remember like getting there and it got to the, the second day and um, I was trying to make myself understood, but the, the level of Spanish that I had had left me with, um, I just wasn't fluent. And I just called my mum, I was just like, mum, I'm trying to sort out this course, they just keep saying, tranquilo, mañana, todo está bien. I'm like, no, it's not, it's not cool. I don't know what I'm doing, I'm stuck, I'm on my own, like I'm literally on my own in this country in the Basque country where it's not like you can go somewhere and people just speak to you in English. No, 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 it wasn't that. So anyway, I'm, I'm studying Spanish law in Spanish, which meant not only their civil code is different and their, you know, their legal framework is different, but it's in Spanish. They didn't have proper translations. This is 
before the internet, proper internet, right? So I was just like, what am I going to do? So I'm sitting in these lectures. I didn't understand most of the time what they were saying, but I stuck with it until Christmas, went home at Christmas and was crying to my mum just saying, it's just really hard. Like I've got a loss of culture. Um, I'm really out of my depth. I don't understand what's going on. Um, you know, I, I, I don't know if I can hack it sort of thing. And she was just like, well, you know, you don't have to stay if you don't want to. And, you know, you can come back, just come back and you can go back to uni. I'm like, no, I'm not coming back. I'm going to stay and I'm going to make the most of it. And after that, I just kind of had a turning point where I embraced the moment. And I did, by the end of it, I was fluent. And it's one of the biggest achievements I've ever had because I went and did, I created that, I did that on my own. And it opened up my world. Like I had a, a piece of myself. It's like I have a part of my heart that is Spanish and I'm very influenced by Latin culture because I just, I, I, I think it's a great culture. Um, so yeah, it really taught me what I was made of. And I, I don't know if I'd have the guts to do what I did when I was that age. You know, when you just think like, I'm just yeah. going to go off and yeah. do it. So I kind of, I look back on that young Carly and I go, but you know, go on, like, because you, you did stuff that I wouldn't be able to do now at 37. But yeah, it was, um, it was a trend. It, it, it was one of those big sides of change in my life that I could do something like that. Wow. I, I love it. And I, it particularly resonates with me because I had the opportunity to go and live in Spain for a year and um, all of my friends had moved away and I just thought, right, it's now is just the perfect opportunity to do it. And then everything was arranged, but then I met, met a man and oh. he's, he's now my husband. Oh and no, I'm, but that's fair to though. Well, I, but I, but in hindsight, which, you know, we could all, you could always say that I think the relationship would have, survived me mm. going to Spain for the year mm, of course you, mm, you know you, mm, mm. What, you, you do what's obvious to do and um it it felt that I needed to stay so I, I'm not fluent in Spanish and I'd love to speak another language so are you still able to speak Spanish um I'm rusty I've got a basic level of Spanish I'm not fluent like I used to be but I do try and travel to um somewhere Spanish speaking at once during the year just to loosen it up again so I've got a friend in Valencia Zara and then um yeah I went to see her March last year and in January I was in Colombia where I got oh, to wow. I cannot recommend it enough I just can't recommend it enough the flavors the sunshine the the music the cultures um Cartagena is just a, such a beautiful place I mean really you want to have an adventure i'll go to south america <laughs> so that's so interesting that you were you just said you know big respect to young carly for going off to spain and yeah it sounds like you still do adventurous things oh i have to i always will i always will i was even um talking to a friend of mine and saying you know when i go i was having a laugh with my friends that when i grow old i'm gonna grow old disgracefully you know, life is, can be mundane. It can be beautiful, don't get me wrong, but it can also be mundane and very normal. And I, my spirit needs that adventure to just let go and just be Carly the spirit again and just go and be free and think, 
oh, what's going to happen to me today? Yeah. You know? And I, I always hope I have that. I want to see as much of the world as I can before I pass. Fantastic. I love it. Okay, I'm going to ask one of our next questions. Yes. So, what have you come to realise that could be described as a game changer? So, I, I thought about this. Um, in t two things come up. I know that's probably cheating a bit on the question. It's but okay. Two, two things came up. So, um, and they're kind of, they're kind of related, I guess. So the first thing was understanding that most people don't always know what they're doing all the time. I had this assumption when I was in my twenties in the working world that people are just, I'm not saying that people are incompetent. It's not that, but this understanding that people had all their stuff together and they were sorted out and they knew exactly what they were doing all the time and everything went according to plan. That is not true at all. Not true at all. I've um, met lots of people where actually they're, they're either new to a job, they're learning the ropes, they're building transferable skills. Um, you meet people sometimes who are actually not in the right role and it shows. Um, but I guess that comes from a little bit of having imposter syndrome and, you know, that kind of pedestal idea that they're more sorted out than me because of where I've come from to get where I am. You know, I'm a girl from an estate. I've come from growing up with people who grew up on benefits and came from, you know, housing estates on, on both sides of my family. So when I'm getting into the same spaces as some of these people, I, I, didn't, I didn't have that, that same level. So I guess I've had to kind of learn to really sit on my seat at the table and own that. And that's still a journey, right? It's still a journey. But yeah, people don't all have it together. What it looks like on the outside is not necessarily what's going on. So don't make an assumption that everybody is better than at everything than you. You've always got something to offer when you come into a room. Um, and then the second one was just about the game changer is learning from other people. You don't need to know everything if you know someone who knows. So that's self-development books and spiritual guidance books. And, you know, I've been to see therapists for years before to work out my stuff, because you know what? <laughs> when you reach a point where you need to go into the next version of yourself and you're feeling stuck, sometimes the strongest thing to do is to ask somebody else for help. And it really has helped me over the years a lot. Um, you know, so, but I've learned from others things like, you know, the process for getting a mortgage and things to look out for when you're looking for a flat. Um, you know, how to, how to manage in relationships and how to learn from my mistakes in relationships. How to learn from mistakes at work. Like all of it. How to navigate a relation, adult relationship, adult to parent, rather than young person to parent. Because that's something, that, that's a rite of passage in a way. But yeah, I talk to my friends about all of that. The menopause, because people don't talk about that that much. You know, I'm trying to prepare myself for bits that are coming. But the point is, I don't need to have all of the answers. I just need to so know someone who knows. <laughs> yeah, and I, what I've noticed is not knowing is just such a wonderful way of expanding. Because if you, if you think you know then you're, you're, it's, you're basically cutting, cutting off receiving more. Exactly. And 
there's also we you mentioned there about um speaking with like therapists and people like that it's just there's another thing about being somewhere where there's the space is held for you to speak and you can uncover so much and it's not necessarily about um there being answers but there's just i don't know it's just it feels like clarity happens when you speak out loud and you just explore what you what you're seeing and what you're feeling there just seems to be some sort of oh yeah again like opening in those those spaces that's definitely true i mean um uh scott peck uh who wrote the road road less traveled um oh yeah he yeah. says total, someone giving you total concentration is actually an act of love to be listened to like that. And I, that pulls me back to what we were speaking about before around sisterhood and around um, the listening being a, a healing force for change, to just be heard. Um, you know, and it kind of, it makes me reflect on what's going on in the world at the moment and, you know, my upset and anger about George Lloyd and um, it not just being about people speaking, but about people listening when it's the right time to listen and speaking out when it's the right time to speak out. Cause if you do those in the wrong order or at the wrong time, it won't necessarily help change anything. Yes. Yeah. And there seems to be right now a, a confusion around speaking up in the sense of seeing lots of placards about, you know, silence is violence. Um, and I did a, a live stream in the When Women Speak group mm. um, about that. I'm not 100% sure on that slogan because I think it's so nuanced because the action that people take is going to come from the understanding in that, you know, the understanding that's there in the moment. And silence can be an act of survival. Silence can be an act of, you know, like numbing. Silence can be an act of, um, yeah, just so many things. But I don't necessarily believe that you could just, you know, that silence is violence because it, it's, it's just more, I just see it's more nuanced, nuanced than, that. than that. And exactly. And that's part of the problem is often we're operating in, um, you know, in social media and media where it's like it's either white or black. It's not, most of the time, most of it is all shades of grey. Um, I do think we need to call out racism where racism is. But I think, you know, in order to have a genuine conversation about racism with um, a white person who may not have ever considered race as a question for them, i.e. what does your whiteness mean to you? Yes. You've got to talk about whiteness. You've got to talk about power, about privilege, about... Um, health inequalities, um, uh, you know, about the difference between individual racism, so individual acts of racism versus systemic racism versus potentially racist rhetoric. It's exhausting to, but it's exhausting being the people who are in positions to try and spread light about this um, and keep yourself safe at the same time. Um, and that's why I think it's hard. I think, you know, you share some of this stuff and actually you're talking about a whole heap of loads of different concepts. And unless you've been kind of in academia 
or in worlds where you're reading essays and you're reading articles and medical journals and you know research and things that kind of critical way of thinking it's a lot it's a lot so when it's it's almost like that i don't think silence silence is violence if actually silence is paralysis because you know that something's wrong you're feeling an emotional response but where do you go from there um and i'm not saying i think it's good enough that people don't don't hold their hands up and call up racism when it's there i'm saying it's it's a whole heap of complexity that needs to be unpicked in safe spaces for people of color and then for others um you know even i i had a um a situation happened with a friend of mine at christmas and i didn't talk to her for a few months because she said she was worried to send her kids to school she's just about to start school um with black kids because she wasn't sure whether they were going to be negatively influenced by being around you know black and brown people which i couldn't believe because <laughs> in our friendship group i'm like hey up in your friend for 10 years yeah like what what is that all about but what what it showed me was she she's she's not the exception she she is the rule there's lots of people who feel like that and so as part of her education she went out there and started to look at started to talk to other white people and you know i think she said she talked to 10 only two were willing to have the conversation because the rest said there wasn't something to do with them wow and that is what a white wow. privilege is that is what it is but the point is it's not it's i, I think the, these terms are taken to be very personal rather than systemic yes and that's part of the issue but anyway so i come back to my philosophy which is i do believe in martin luther's dream i do believe that we can all be together but that's not with being colorblind that's with appreciating and valuing the richness and diversity and not acting like you don't see color i don't know how anybody can't see color because i'm always interested in how people look and where their people come from and you know where their histories lie and how that shows in themselves and their characteristics and their ways of being in the world i'm fascinated by it you know as a traveler and, and as a community development practitioner so why would i not want to come and say oh where's your where did you get your jacket from because i love the print or you know anything like that um but yeah sorry these things are very present with me at the moment they've been sitting with me today and i'm sure you feel the same way i do i do i'm i'm also mixed but politically i'm black um and i i say that because i want to do work in the world that tries to make it better and i can't sit there and kind of revel in anything that goes well whilst knowing that um my community is treated badly um yeah. uh but i'm i'm similar to you i I've, I've always grown up around people from all different places but i thrive on it because it's just so interesting it is totally. it is so so i'm 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 completely the same as you i love it i mean when i was reflecting in my work today i've worked with about 14 different kinds of um communities from across the world wow. through working in well, that's east london i love <laughs> east london big shout out to east london <laughs> no i'm not even joking i love east london so much i love all the people in east london and the multiculturalism and um the shared identity that we have as well it's fantastic oh love it love it i'm gonna ask you our third question 
Yes. Which is, what have you seen or heard that's left an impression on you, such as a book, a film, or it could be poetry or an album or a speech? Oh, so this is really hard. Right? Is it? Okay. Well, I have got one. Uh-huh. But then when you're saying the question again and I'm listening to you, I'm like, well, I could do that, I could do that, I could do that. Um, but the piece that I was thinking about was Rumi's The Guest House. Oh, nice. Yeah, I know that one. Yes. Yeah. And that piece, because it was one that was introduced to me f- through um, uh, therapeutic sessions I have with this absolutely lovely Israeli um, dear friend of mine now, Ilya Dato. And um, he's, he, he now works uh, facilitating family constellations workshops. So oh, I love those. I oh, love he's those. a really great guy. He's a really great guy. But he was the one who first gave it to me. And it was, uh, I come back to kind of emotional mastery. But the guest house is about, you know, dancing um, and not playing with your emotions, but seeing the dance and the ebb and flow of emotional states. So not getting held and bound by them, but seeing them as a connection to your own spirituality and growth. Um, and um, so, yeah, I, I, I looked at it and reread it. And it has got this feeling of kind of wonder about the fact that we experience these emotions. Um, and I kind of, I, I fell in love with Rumi when I started to read him, as uh, many people do, don't they? The, the way he writes does stir something doesn't it it's it's like a reminder of the simplicity of life and the wonder the beauty but also that that beauty can hold so much you know pain it can hold pain it can hold sorrow it can hold anger it can hold all of that um with the same lightness um yeah that's pretty cool it is, it is. And then we think about the fact that he was writing in the 13th century and it's 2020. Mm-hmm. And that I, I'm always fascinated by that idea that words are immortalized and like last. You know, when you found something, when you found something that genuinely has expressed the human condition, you know, that it will last. And I just, yeah, I, I, love, I love his work, so. Yeah. Okay, we're coming to the end of our conversation already. I could talk to you all night. I know, I know, <laughs> I know, I feel the same. If we talk about being the change you want to see in the world, so tell me about that. So that means for me right now, um, one of my projects is also to um, be a co host on a podcast uh, which is um, being planned at the moment. Uh, called Speak Out Sister and um, we're planning to share about the uh, lives, learning and loves and leadership but from uh, the women of colour point of view Um, and really make it focused on some of the nitty-gritty taboo things. Um, what What else does it mean for me to be the change in the world? It means I speak up when I don't agree with something um, and I've had it happen where I've done that and, and it hasn't gone well. <laughs> it doesn't always mean that it's going to be well received or not painful. But I, I've just got to the point where I just, I, I don't care anymore. I, I'm not willing to keep my mouth shut anymore. 
something about the last few years I've become far more empowered to say what I've got to say as a woman of colour. Um, and when I'm looking at health inequalities and I'm seeing the stark inequalities and differences in quality of life and having my black family dying earlier of things and unmet opportunities and all sorts of stuff, I just, I think, you know, the, the Me Too movement and other movements coming, it feels like we're on this tipping point now where something might shift as well, which is very hopeful. Um, I feel like the last few years of my reading has given me the chance to articulate how I feel. I don't feel I was able to, I, I feel that I was able to do it, but not in the way that I could do it now. It feels very centered now because, you know, I kind of, I, I've, I've sorted my stuff out and I'm much more in, in my own skin and kind of balanced. So I feel like I can say it from this point of view and with my backup and I've got my safe places. And so it, yeah, it means speaking out, but it also means being the, you know, being the loving person that I want to be as well. So it means trying to embody that. And that also means saying sorry when you make a mistake and, you know, owning when you don't know something and, you know, saying no because you don't want to do something and understanding things like assertiveness is that you're looking after your own feelings and the rights and the feelings of somebody else. It's like all of these, it's very, if you want to be the change you want to see in the world, you need, you need to think about what your values are in the world. What do you stand for? Who do you want to be? And how do you make that happen? Because if you're going out there with that intention and you've got spiritual practice as well to keep you steady, that can be like, I go out there and I might talk to the plant or the bird or always dogs because I love them or have a smile or a chat with someone, that is still being changed in the world. It doesn't always have to be like changing a constitution or something. It's about having an intention about who you want to be and how you want to contribute to the way that the world is. You know, and I, I'm hopeful that, I'm always hopeful about the way that the world could be. Otherwise, we, why would we any of us bother unless we thought it could be different? Mm. Yeah, yeah. And I love what you shared there about the being the change. It's it's not selective. It's not like oh well, I'll I'll just I'll just be the change in that environment. But in every in every other scenario, I won't <laughs> I won't be. So it's like how you sh how you show up at home. You can have that same intention in all places. Yeah, you can. You can, but it, but we're we're human beings, so we make mistakes all of the course, time. Of but, course, but, but that's part of it, isn't it? The self love is the beginning of that compassionate love that then extends out, and this and it it comes back to some of the conversations we've been having already because it's that sense of oneness that we've got, that illusion of separation that we've got between us that says, "I'm not like them, therefore it don't matter what happens to them." You know, if we're actually looking at oneness, we're saying like, I can't rest until my brothers and sisters actually are not killed for no reason. Like, I can't rest. It doesn't feel right. Yes. Yes. You know, yes. so, but I, I am, I'm hopeful we can get there. I am. Brilliant. Thank you so much, Carly. It's been a gorgeous conversation. I've really enjoyed it. Thank oh, you. thank you. It's been a pleasure as well. I'll, I'll give you a virtual hug. <laughs> I love it. Yes. <laughs>
define us, comfort us, or dictate a particular path, their sharing illuminates an objectified world where we so innocently lose our way. Without holding on to your story, who would you be? What could happen? In each seeming moment, there's potential. Everything arising and yet with no beginning nor end. stories we've clung to so tightly, the space in which they all arise becomes more obvious. With stories set free, who you are is revealed. And that open, real and honest expression of life, you are, shines in the world.